Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly Women's Agenda podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking about women's economic inequality in Australia and some new ideas on how to address it, why Icelandic women took the day off earlier this week, and a big reason that women entrepreneurs are missing out on funding. We're often perceived as side hustlers. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 26th of October, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, joining you from Gadigal Land, and I am joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello. Hey, Ange. How's it going? Good, thank you. We have a little bit to cover, a list of little wide-ranging issues here and some that I didn't mention in the introduction there. So I think we should get straight to it. What is your win for the week? Yeah, there's a fair bit today, isn't there? Yes. So my win is a new government-funded program to combat online toxic masculinity influences like Andrew Tate. So the Healthy Masculinities Trial Project will receive $3.5 million from the government for a three-year trial. Its end goal is to end violence against women in the next decade. To do this, the program will run face-to-face and online presentations at schools, sporting clubs and other community organisations to teach school-aged boys about respectful relationships, not just with their peers but also with themselves. Speaking to the project's role in ensuring women's safety, Minister for Social Services, Amanda Rishworth, who will actually be on the podcast next week, which is exciting, uh, but she said research shows there are strong links between harmful forms of masculinity and the perpetration of violence against women. I think that this is just, you know, a really helpful step in the right direction here because we know that there are so many issues with people like Andrew Tate gaining the kind of platform and profile that he he does have and, and there are others like him and, um, you know, the, the sheer kind of gravity of, of their influence and what it can do and how it infiltrates society and and kind of young minds. So I think that this is definitely a helpful program and it's good to see the government being proactive in this area. Ange? Yes, I agree. And uh, as a mother of three boys, I guess uh, they will be going through some of that training, which will be interesting. And I have to say, I'm always have, you know, concerns about uh, especially social media and YouTube and some of the things that boys and, and young men as they get older come across and that need around, um, you know, there is this idea of toxic masculinity in school, but also where schools might consider literacy around that as well, media literacy in terms of, you know, what to believe and try to sort of steer them away from various conspiracy theories, which we we know run rife across some of these platforms too and are often at the heart of men like Andrew Tate getting the profile that they get Okay, so I'll go for something completely different. Uh, my win is the uh, uh, the women of Iceland who took to the streets earlier this week for the Women's Day Off and they protested for the day. They took the day off from all paid and unpaid work and the Prime Minister, who also happens to be a woman, was well involved in this protest herself, which was really great to see. And my win is the fact that this protest took place despite the fact that Iceland has come up for 14 years in a row as the world's leader on gender equality, according to the World Economic Forum. Like every year we look at that World Economic Forum report and we find that Iceland is just doing exceptionally well, leads the pack, is well above the rest of us. 
But the point with this protest is that they see themselves as a leader, but their gaps haven't closed. They still have gender pay gaps. They still have a gender pay gap that expands to around 30% for women in finance and insurance. And they still have, you know, a really high rates of violence against women. And so this was women saying, well, you know what? We're kind of, you know, we might be a leader, but it's not good enough. And as a leader, we also need to be setting an example to the rest of the world to say that a little bit of progress, even if that puts you ahead of the pack, it doesn't mean that you just sort of rest on your laurels and say, well, you know, we've done enough here. They certainly haven't. So I thought it was great to see that happen. And it's um, interesting that it is inspiring so much conversation about, you know, whether Australian women could do that, whether other countries mm. would follow that lead. Interesting with Iceland too is that they had this protest in, in the 1970s. It's really famous and really sort of paved the way for a lot of the really great work that has occurred in Iceland. And um, you look back at the reports from this time when the women took the day off from all paid and unpaid work and apparently factories were closing. <laughs> they were like the dads didn't know how to feed their children. There's all these really funny stories about what happened on this day and um, the, the, how historic it was. 90% of women participated in that 1970s pro- protest, which is incredible to think about. So, yeah. Someone made a really funny point on LinkedIn. <laughs> they, were, they were talking about the Simpsons episode where Marge leaves Homer oh, yeah. for a <laughs> yeah. and he becomes like totally disheveled and he's wearing like a string around his pants <laughs> and he lives in a tree house after <laughs> One day. It was so good. I was like, that is the best analogy to her. I love that. I remember that episode well. So they they captured it so well. Um, Anyway, that was my win. Yes, very good win. So on to our next story today, and it is one that is actually kind of evolving as we speak. So Bruce Lemon has been publicly named as the high-profile man accused of raping a woman in Toowoomba two years ago. And Although this has been in the news for some time, his name was, wasn't actually able to be disclosed as part of Queensland's laws, but that legislation has actually recently changed and the former Liberal staffer who was accused of rape in 2019 by Brittany Higgins but has always maintained his, his innocence has obviously now been implicated in this, this other case. So it's, it's a huge story and obviously there's going to be a lot more to it and what do you make of this one yeah I mean has huge issues it's I mean first of all it's I guess it's a win in Queensland that those laws have changed first of all that Queensland was the last remaining state that still had these laws that would protect accused rapists in this way and it sort of does hark back to you know, these rape myths of the past that women would pursue these allegations as a means to ruin the reputation of men, all that kind of thing. So it is a massive win that these laws have been changed. That's the first thing I'd say. But now onto this particular case, it was interesting. His lawyers were really pushing to keep Lemon's name suppressed, saying that the laws should be applied retrospectively. And you read some of the comments from the judge that came out yesterday. So then you also had a number of media publications, including The Guardian, who were really pushing for that suppression order of his name to be lifted as well so they could reveal his name because we've all kind of, you know, it's all been there. You can see it on the court list, but as in the media, you just can't report that, right? And and of course, we wouldn't want to, no one would want to jeopardise the case and that kind of thing. So, but you look at what Justice Peter Applegast said regarding this case, and he's really gone into the interviews that Bruce Lerman gave with Channel 7 
over the past few months as reason to dismiss comments from Lerman's psychologist saying that this would cause him great harm to kind of bring up yeah, that his name would sort of trigger events and accept this sort of thing. And um, Justice Peter Abergarth has basically said, well, hang on, you were well enough to engage with sections of the national media over the past few months, so you should be well enough to engage with, with this issue now. He also made the comment, this one was like, wow, what a sting. He said I, he said he hoped that Seven had paid him or the solicitor a lot of money given the consequences it has ultimately had for this particular application, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. And, and apparently he did that interview against the advice of his lawyers, which to me is quite illuminating, you know, if you're, staring down the barrel of these two charges and you're trying to clear your name and and maintain a normal life, why Mm. would you enter into that media discourse? And not only that, but his words in that interview were quite inflammatory. Like he came into it saying, I'm going to like, let's light a fire. Let's, you know, let's Mm -hmm. basically get this all out and truth needs to come out. And he was so emphatic about it all. And and yeah, and that that's you know that was a comment that Justice Applegate made. He made he said you know this that those interviews and saying stuff like let's light a fire that those sorts of, that they're not they don't really match this idea of them needing to lower his public profile and retreat from the media spotlight for the sake of his mental health and things like that. So yeah, I think obviously we'll be watching this. It you know has been this frustrating thing for months now about you know this high profile man and you know, as, as the media we haven't been able to share that name. So it's great that Queensland did change those laws and interesting to follow this case over the coming months as well. I'm also thinking about Brittany Higgins today and Mm -hmm. hoping that this is somewhat vindicating for her as well because, you know, to have his name publicly out there now associated with two very severe charges is helpful for her probably psychologically and, and I hope it is. Next up today, we are looking at women's economic inequality and the long-awaited report from the Women's Economic Equality Task Force, which was released this week and has outlined some of the critical issues as well as recommendations for unlocking women's equal economic participation. While the current data isn't good, so to speak, um, a 25-year-old woman can expect to earn $2 million less over her life than a man of the same age. The report shows Australia stands to gain a whopping $128 billion if the recommendations are followed. There are seven comprehensive recommendations outlined and covering further investment in early childhood education, extending paid parental leave to one year of full leave, better supporting older women to return to the workforce and addressing the minimum wage. And you reported on this fully this week. So what did you make of it? So first of all, that it is a really great report and it's great to see it out there and especially, you know, having someone like Sam Austin who was chairing the task force for this report who is just such an incredible advocate and talent for these types of issues and is always willing to say it like it is. Um, and so, and also that the government received the report. Um, Senator Katie Gallagher was there to receive the report. They're certainly looking at the recommendations. I didn't sort of take away a sense of idea that they're definitely going to try to pursue all the recommendations. If anything, it was very much noted um, during the press conference by um, Senator Gallagher that she 
talked about the cost of living issues, budgetary pressures, all that sort of fair enough. So our hope is that we can at least kind of, you know, that we want to keep this report live, that it doesn't just sit in a drawer somewhere for a couple of years to gather some dust before somebody sees it as an, an election issue or something convenient at the time. So I think the idea was with these recommendations, they offered some short-term ones, they offered some long-term ones, they presented a 10-year comprehensive plan on how we can aim to, you know, narrow some of these gaps, especially around the motherhood penalty, which was really interesting and which you noted in that look at that, you know, what a 25-year-old woman today can expect to earn less over the course of her lifetime if she goes on to have a child. I think that figure of, um, you know, the $2 million figure is really staggering. Um, so, I mean, it's certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible to, to think that and that's on current work patterns. So that's, you know, doing all the stuff that we're doing today. I think with this as well, there was a really interesting idea about how women's economic inequality is normalised and, you know, that was a quote that came from Professor Ray Cooper, who was also one of the task force members, where she made, and it's just she just said that, you know, women's economic inequality is that so, it's so normalised that people assume it's the result of women's choices. And I think that is just so true and so telling and kind of sums it all up is that we just kind of expect, we just say, oh, it's just the way it is because, you know, we're choosing to to have a child or we're so-called, you know, choosing to go and um, work in the care sector, which is, you know, ridiculously underpaid and undervalued or, you know, we just happen to be choosing to take on more domestic and unpaid work as if we have all these choices to spend our time in other ways. So I think like that was just really powerful, that idea. And so, um, and also, you know, putting the $128 billion figure mm. on it too, which is really strong. And a couple of points that Christina Zurica said about this report as well, which I thought was really, really strong, was she she looked through and noted that, you know, nowhere, it didn't really mention this idea of women's confidence, which was just such progress because in the past when you see these reports, especially from yeah. you know, the coalition's 10 years, it was all like, oh, we need to make women more confident. And this actually isn't that. It's actually saying, no, we need to make some structural changes to make <laughs> yeah, the yeah. system yeah, work. So yeah. that was, yeah, a yeah, um, really interesting report. Yeah, I think like some of those findings were incredibly staggering and yeah, you just you do hope that it is a bit of impetus for change. My concern is even when they like kind of come up with these billion dollar mm. reform figures, like they did it around when they did the um the modeling around early childhood education and what it would mean if we were to make that system universal and, you know, we would be saving multi-billion dollars per year if we did it. And I still think that the rhetoric that came out publicly around that and the push to have that, even though the government has actually, they've cited their intention to to kind of keep moving with that, which is awesome. But I think that the public rhetoric is still like, oh, well, why are we giving these women and these families a leg up? And, you know, it's just a handout. And there's that that mentality, which I think, is a really hard thing to change in society. I think obviously having these conversations and normalising, you know, the, the issues at play and really making sure people are aware of that is is part of it. But I, I do, my concern is there a bit because I, I know that these advocates and these academics who are heavily involved in this, like Sam Most and like Ray Cooper, they're, you know, amazing and they obviously know everything very kind of acutely, but I do think that publicly we have a 
longer road ahead, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially when you're talking about things like, you know, to extend like paid parental leave and to make further investments in early childhood education, like publicly that they're going to be really hard things to try and legislate for. And especially when it would be quite easy for the Albanese government to look back and say, oh, well, we've, we, you know, we've done some things there. We're, we're, we're kind of done with that. We, we did the the slight amendments on paid parental leave and we've got those plans to slightly amend it and make it a little bit longer over the coming years. It could yeah. be easy for them to wipe their hands of that and say, yeah, yeah, done. And because extending it to a year, which is the recommendation here over the next 10 years, it w- would be a huge push publicly, yeah. even yeah. though we could point to all the great evidence that would show just what <laughs> great things it would do for this country. But and we also um, know that governments are so easily swayed. Like, you know, they're not always operating altruistically and Mm -hmm. even when they have strong ideology which I actually believe the Albanese government does have it's very hard to kind of come up against that that social sentiment if it's if it's reluctant right like I think even off the back of the voice we now know it's going to be hard for the Albanese government to advocate on those issues in a profound way again because of of this backlash like my instinct is that they'll try to stay quiet on it for for quite a while and I think Mm -hmm. that that's that's hard like that's that's really challenging I wish that governments had a bit more moxie sometimes I think that we are really kind of lacking that Mm. um, on both sides yeah I mean I think they will stay I mean the the issue here is that they did you know the Albanese government appointed this task force so they can't completely ignore it they they really need to pay attention to some of the report and you know some of the early findings of this task force did sort of wind up in some budgetary measures earlier this year which was good to see particularly around the single parenting payments so also obviously it's a bit of a different economic climate so it is it is an uphill battle to to win this the the public support around that so yeah we will see but we can keep asking them about it so that would be good (laughs) <laughs> that they fund that you know they appointed themselves so we can keep asking and that's what I imagine much of the media will continue to do yeah speaking of we <laughs> Tala if I can go to your story this week that you shared about yeah. share a little bit about this little business that we run this little side hustle that we do <laughs> um in our spare time uh when we do other <laughs> stuff Yes. During our days. That's just that little side hustle. Um, when we go to lunch and when we are. Uh... I wrote a piece this week that had probably been brewing for some time. And if you read it, you'll probably see that it had been brewing for some time. But it came off the back of various conversations I've had with women who are really successful, running really impressive businesses, who just are constantly feeling sidelined and minimised about the work they do and being made to feel like it's secondary to what their their husbands do if they're in heterosexual relationships. And I was just growing more and more frustrated by it. And I also referred to an incident that happened to me um, at my grandfather's funeral where a quite distant family friend approached me at the the funeral well actually he approached my brother and my brother and I were talking and my brother runs a successful business as well and this family friend of ours is quite a typical <laughs> i would say you know middle-aged successful white man living in sydney's eastern suburbs 
and had this conversation with my brother where he was, you know, so impressed and laying on the praise about what my brother did and they were having this really kind of dynamic conversation. And then halfway through the conversation he turned to me and he was like, "Uh, so what are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, like I I co-run a small independent media company and I said our main site is called Women's Agenda. And he just looked at me (laughs) and went, women's uh, gender. (laughs) And he genuinely thought this was the funniest joke he'd ever landed. (laughs) And I just was like, what did you just, like it was so clear to me that he had zero interest in actually hearing about what I did or the business I ran. And I was like, there's just no point in even engaging in this conversation anymore. And I just think that that's, yeah, those kind of interactions that women have about their business are so frequent. Like my best friend living up here runs a really successful makeup business as well. And she like does really cool things. Like she works on major festivals up here. She like works with celebrities. It's like a really thriving business. She only works weekend hours because her husband's a builder and he works away and she has three kids as well. But she is holding down the fort at home while making a full-time salary in weekend hours. And every time someone refers to her business, they say, how's your little business going? Mm. And It's just that those kind of words that seep into our consciousness and our conversations all the time and make women feel like they're they're not meant to try to build something big or to scale. And I think it really is prohibiting us. Mm. We know that there is a huge gap in venture capital funding going to women that's currently sitting at 2% annually, which is just mind-boggling when we know how much talent is out there and what businesses exist and how much innovation that that women are bringing to the table. But it's not being looked at. It's not being rewarded. And, um, And I think we're just missing out on really key opportunities as a result. And if we miss out on those opportunities, then Australia just misses out holistically. So, yeah. Anyway, that was my rant this week and now I've uh, added to my rant on this podcast but it's been quite cathartic. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, I I agree. I think there might be two things going on because I wonder if your distant relative friend, whoever the person was, I hope you have (laughs) shared the story with him, um, if like was it also the women part? Like as soon as he heard the word women, it was like almost cause to also dismiss it or something because. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Whereas maybe if like, uh, you know, you were pursuing men's agenda, I don't know, maybe it would seem. Well, that would be, that would be topical. (laughs) We've had a few people reach out and ask about the men's agenda and, you know, what about it? And like, what about the men's agenda? And I often like reply, well, you're free to go and start it, buddy. You have a men's agenda every day. Every day is men's agenda. By all means, go and like. Go and see what it's like to, you know, publish eight to ten news stories <laughs> yeah. a day every day and see how, you know, it's, yeah, it's not something we do in our pyjamas for fun, although sometimes, you know, that does happen too. But uh, it, yeah, it's very much full-time work and we do have a small team that we're building and we build very, you know, it all happens very slowly and it's been a long time, uh, you know, over ten years or so and, um 
we didn't come into this business, Tyler. I don't think we, we both could say that we didn't come in with like the ability to spend free time on a on a adventure like this. It was very much we needed to make an income from it immediately. Yeah, totally. Mm. And, you know, even though we've got a small team and we are entirely independent and not backed by outside sources, we, we have a readership of nearly a million women a month. We have great cut through and we I think that it is just a case of no matter how kind of successful you are, no matter how, no matter what you're doing, I think women like typically are facing these kind of, uh, these kinds mm. of interactions and being dismissed on a daily basis. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that piece. It was great to see it get really good traction and start some great conversations as well. And thank you for listening to us this week on The Crux, our weekly Women's Agenda podcast. And just a reminder that you can subscribe to our lunchtime newsletter at our website, womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe, because that's what we do. We put out a newsletter every day in our small little side hustle business here. Please do go and check it out. Every subscriber does actually really help our business. So, And you can get these stories that we discuss as we actually write them and publish them and share them with our readers also. So thank you for listening. Thank you.